Today's episode of The Doctor's Companion is brought to you by InStockTrades.com and DCBService.com. Welcome to another episode of The Doctor's Companion. I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Matt Smith, but not that Matt Smith. And we're from MindRobber.net, the home site of MindRobber Productions, where we talk about all of the things uh, in, in, in entertainment, on podcasts. Uh, like this one, where we talk about Doctor Who, and then we have a flagship podcast, The Mind Robbers, where we talk about other things that aren't Doctor Who. And if you like our shows, you should review them, uh, but please, only if you like them. Uh, just being honest. Uh, review them on iTunes, and if you have questions, comments, concerns, anything you feel like sharing, uh, like maybe when it would be appropriate to leave a bad review, um, which is never, <laughs> uh, you can email that to podcast at mindrobber.net. And if you want to start a discussion, add it to the comments so everyone knows what you're thinking. Uh, today we are uh, we have a we have dual episodes that we're talking about because we're going to be talking about 42, which is a 10th Doctor and Martha story written by Chris Chibnall, uh, the the same Chris Chibnall that wrote two episodes um, in the uh, the first five of series seven. Um, also we are starting our, our, our revisitation, uh, or, or I guess half revisitation of the 11th hour. I'm revisiting it. Matt is sharing his thoughts for the first time. Um, <laughs> so, uh, for, for old school listeners that remember when Randy was my co-host, we talked about the 11th hour. In fact, the 11th hour, uh, was the reason we started the show, um, back in a while ago. 2009-ish? Yeah, because our first episode was End of Time Part 1. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Um, So, so yeah, so the the show started with Randy, and then uh, he got busy. He had other things going on, other more important life-threatening things. Um, And Matt stepped in, and, and Randy decided not to come back because he thought the show was in good hands. So... Matt's been part of the show ever since, but he never got to talk about Series 5, which if you have been listening, you know that we're not crazy about lots of Series 6 and mostly all of Series 7. So uh, it'll be nice that we're going back to a time when we were really positive about the show. Uh, And seeing if that positivity holds up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's just that's a fair that's the fair assessment of where we're going with. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um. But before uh, before we get started with forty two, do we have any background significance for that particular episode? Uh, a little bit. The background of forty two is that Russell T Davies wanted to do an episode that was set entirely on a spaceship, um, and brought in Chris Chibnall, who was the um, like the head writer on Torchwood, uh, and really brought the sh- help like show run the show for the first two seasons. Um, 
brought him on to do some Doctor Who. So 42 is this first Doctor Who story that takes place in a spaceship. And it's interesting that um, aesthetically it's very reminiscent of uh, Impossible Planet and the Satan Pit, which was mm-hmm. back in season two as a two-parter that I really love. Um, aesthetically, it's very similar. And the idea was that this is the same time period as that, um, which is good because it feels very um, sci-fi in a really cool way, um, in a way that I feel like I connect completely to Doctor Who um, under the Davies era. And it makes this whole thing feel kind of similar. It's directed by Graham Harper who I think is the best Doctor Who director of all time. And after watching this, I think he's undoubtedly the best Doctor Who director of all time because it's really hard to turn something really bad into gold. Um, so, um, Ouch. Um, well, I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Um, but, but it's Graham Harper. It's also like the first regular story with the Doctor and Martha. And it's honestly pretty much their only non-special adventure that they have i mean everything else that they did before this was all um getting martha to be a full-time companion on the tardis like in smith and jones they were meeting in gridlock and shakespeare code they were the doctor was just showing her out taking her out on a field trip and same with uh the dalek two-parter and then lazarus experiment was him dropping her off and then saying no let's go again and then this is um this is them having their for, their first full proper adventure. And then after this, you have Human Nature, which is just uh, bizarre and not like I, – I don't consider it like their adventure. And then Blink, which is not the Doctor's story. And then you have the finale. So this is the only adventure with Martha Jones. Um, and uh, I don't know. It's just – I think that's something that's worth mentioning and worth discussing. Um, sure. And uh, I think that's really it. So Chibnall, Harper, um, Martha Jones, and the TARDIS. What's not to love? What's not to love? Uh, well, we'll find out in a second. Before we continue, this reminder that today's episode is brought to you by InStockTrades.com, where you can purchase our book of the month, which is not Wednesday Comics, as the <laughs> oops, <laughs> as the script states that it is. No, it's it's severed by uh, by Scott Snyder, Scott Tuft, and Akila Futara. I think that's right. Futari. Futari, something like that. Yeah. Something anyway, like that. it's only fourteen ninety nine on InStockTrades.com, which is like forty percent off the retail price of twenty four ninety nine. Uh, and you can order that and a few other things and get uh, get free shipping if your order is over fifty dollars. So thanks to InStockTrades.com. Uh, all right. So forty two. Um, I remember uh, forty two. Actually, I remember getting a lot of crap uh, when it came out because this was the same year that Sunshine came out, mm-hmm. and it's kind of the same thing <laughs> in a lot of ways. Well, here's the funny thing: uh, apparently, the original title, the original name of the spaceship was the Icarus, and then they changed it because they found out about Sunshine. <laughs> well, see, there you go. <laughs> so this is one of those things where it's like one of those wacky Hollywood uh, two great minds kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. it's always happens. Like whenever somebody has one idea, somebody else has it simultaneously. And you always have two things that are kind of the same. Um, and it's happened to, uh, it's happened to Danny Boyle twice. That's interesting. Uh, cause it happened. <laughs> I think he needs to just start, stop stealing from people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, or they need to stop stealing from him. One or the other. Uh, but 42, I, I remember, watching this season and this episode came up and I was like really bored. Um, and I was like, this isn't 
what I want from Doctor Who. And watching it now, knowing that Chris Chibnall was a big mainstay on Torchwood, it it kind of feels obvious while watching this. It feels like this should be a Jack Harkness story almost more sure. than uh, more than a Doctor story. Um, I don't know. I I. Uh, it's fine. It's just very generic and uh, I don't know. It's just bland, I guess. It's just it's very simple, simple. And I've seen it before. You know, it's it's the uh, it's the the setting is in peril. And then there's a smaller a smaller story going on with the people in the story in peril with this other slightly unrelated thing. Um mm-hmm. That's like stalking them and killing them one by one. And it's just it's 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 the type of story that that gets told a lot um, in this uh, in New Who uh, and and I think in Classic Who a lot, too. Sure. Yeah. Um, And it's just I don't know. I've seen it before. I've seen (laughs) it done better. I've seen it been done worse. Uh, It's just It's it's exceedingly average. Yeah. 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 (laughs) <laughs> that's really all I can say about it. Like I, I like the, uh, the set design, even though, I mean, it just looks like they reuse stuff from Satan pit, um, mm-hmm. which is fine. I mean, that's, that's how you save money on a budget. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, it's, I think one of my weirdest complaints about it though, is that the two guys that are left at the end kind of look the same and yes. it's hard to tell the difference between the two. Yeah, it's almost to the point where you're like, Martha, are you kissing the right dude? Are you sure about that? Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Um, yeah, um, I'm I'm in the same camp. I think that um, this is definitely one of the weaker. This is definitely on the weaker spectrum of the uh, of the third season. If it has a big problem, it's that it um it it is the only thing keeping you from the incredible last six episodes of series three. Um, and I know that um. Between the last, like, <laughs> the disc on the DVD is um, uh, Daleks in Manhattan, Evolution of the Daleks, Lazarus Experiment, and 42, which is kind of a rough disc. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a rough disc. But I, I think, and I think that you're right. I think that it is extremely generic. It doesn't really do a whole lot. Because, um, mm-hmm. uh, like, like, for example, uh, Lazarus Experiment is an episode that I'm also not crazy about, but... At least with the Lazarus experiment, I can be like, well, they were trying something. Yeah, and it's about something. Yeah, and it's about – exactly. But like this is just – it's just – there's a spaceship and it's falling into the sun and there's a sun monster. And you basically are running around like a crazy person for yeah, and minutes, everybody's and sweating because it's hot and because <laughs> you're crashing into the sun. <laughs> yeah, and that's really uh, all it's got going. I don't know. Yeah, but and, and I and, and it's I, this whole and it's this whole like I mean it, basically what it has to say is just a little too on the nose because I mean what what the message ultimately of forty two is is uh, the idea that uh, what if. Uh, what if you were drilling for oil and uh, the uh, the place that you were drilling for oil was alive and tried to get revenge? I mean, that's basically what it's trying to say. Yeah, is revenge stop, of the dinosaurs. Yeah, stop, stop drilling for oil. That's basically what it was trying to say. Um, and not very subtly either. Uh, right. So, I, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I, I, and I agree in all of that. There is not a strong message. I mean, we just talked about Chibnall episodes. Chibnall mas- Chibnall's episodes don't really have messages. Um, 
Uh, and I, I guess that's fine. I mean, if you want to just put on something that's 42 minutes of run and gun, like the, the, the reason it's called 42 is because it's a parody of 24. Um, the idea is that the episode takes place in real time. Um, if you want to put it on, you could do far worse. Um, and, but it's, <laughs> there really isn't anything to it. It's a little bit over the top in places, the stuff with the, with the sun. I mean, David Tennant is basically completely unbridled here and yet really good. Yeah, that um, was rough. That was something I noticed because that's, that's the one complaint that I hear a lot, uh, from, from people who don't really like David Tennant is that he's not very subtle. Mm-hmm. And it's a thing that I never really thought about because I thought in most cases when he's, really over the top he sort of earns it this is one of those cases where he does not earn it no uh, and not. i wonder and i wonder and i know i know maybe you're not going to be crazy about this thought i don't know but i'm wondering if maybe it's not the director's fault because he is one of the only directors that has ever worked on the show in the classic series as well and i feel like maybe he saw this episode and was like oh I know what I'm doing with this one. <laughs> and because he just he's so used to the classic who and this feels like such a classic story. And he kind of allowed the actors to go a little over the top. Yeah, um, I, I think I think that's definitely part of it. Because, um, I mean, I mean, Harper, Harper, one of the things that Harper does and he does it in his classic stories and in his and in his new stories as well is he casts really well. Um, he's very good at casting, and I think that the casting here is really good, but I feel like there is an unbridledness to it. And that's, I mean, I wonder how much of that is the script. I mean, again, Chimnall doesn't really give a whole lot of things. Like, his examples of characterization are, these are the sort of questions I would ask if I wanted to, you know, not have my ship hijacked. Um, but it, it, you're right, it is over the top, and I'm wondering how much of that is Harper and how much of it isn't. Um, what I really um, applaud Harper for is that while the story is really dull. I think that Harper's use of um, Harper's direction is really excellent. I think that it is relentless. It is nonstop. It is, uh, it is, it is energetic. It is full of moments that race along. It is edited extremely well. Um, and it, and it also takes time to pause and it takes time to take weird tonal shifts like with um, Martha's mother and go for comedy. And I mean, that's what I really, honestly mostly take away from this is that even with a bad script like you see someone like Eros Lin who um is really defined by his by the quality of the script uh Graham Harper really takes a bad script and turns something really good out of it like this is way better than it has any right to be um and I'm pretty much blaming Harper for that so yeah there there are moments in this though that I don't think he made the right choices uh there's a there's a moment in particular when um, I think they're they're uh, under ten minutes to go. It's right before, uh, it's 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 right before Martha and the one guy go into the pod to run yeah. away from the sun monster, and I I it just they run away before they or they 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 they're 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 at the computer or whatever trying to figure out what they need to figure out to stop themselves from falling into the sun and then they hear like a wrench drop to the ground and then they just stop what they're doing and they go and look and i'm like no that's not what you would be doing when you have 12 minutes before you're going to fall into the sun maybe one of you would go do that yeah but not both of you yeah. Um, you wouldn't run until the thing walked into the room. Yeah. 
That's because, that's just that's just because either because because right now the imminent threat is that you're falling into the sun. Like yeah. it's not that a thing is trying to kill you yeah. uh, because it, it's not in the room. So it's not trying to kill you yet. Uh, mm-hmm. So I feel like that could have been paced a little differently, maybe blocked a little differently. Yeah. Um, it was it it uh, it that kind of killed it for me that that particular scene. It was kind of it was weird. Sure. And I, I agree. I think that it's like you have a whole lot of doors to open. I mean, they have a, a ludicrous amount of doors to open and it's not like the thing doesn't take a while to open. Like they're under the gun. Like you wouldn't stop for anything. Like mm-hmm. you need to just keep going and be like, maybe we can close one of the doors behind us or something and not have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, you're right about that. But then I, for all of those moments, I, I, I mean the sequence when Martha is jettisoned in the escape pod out into the, into the sun is just heartbreaking. I think that Graham Harper really directed the hell out of that bit. And mm-hmm. it's like, I mean, it's the silence is, is, is incredible. And watching the doctor and the, and the outline of the escape pod, like visually speaking, Harper, I mean, Harper's always been very visual. If you listen to anything he said, he's always trying to find the visualness in everything that he's doing. And there's a lot of like that, a lot alone is so specific. Like just watching Martha tap against the glass. Like it's such a, it's such a specific moment. And Prima Agumon does a great job of selling it. And Harper does a great job of shooting it. And the sound design, it's all, it's also so good to me. Um, and I love that. So. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I like that. I just, um, I, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not a great script. It's not, a, it's not a terrible script. It's just not a great one. Um, serviceable it's serviceable serviceable. yeah yeah yeah. and that's i mean that's the that's the that's the problem is like if a script introduces all of these like ideas like there's the part where it says um where it says uh we all came up with these puzzles that the ship would not be hijacked and then he's like but we've changed crews it's like that's just stupid like then you would change the puzzles like why would you not do that and then they never hit problems ever um they hit problems early on and then they're just they have no problems opening any for any doors after martha calls her mom um mm-hmm. and it's, i mean i i i, I it, it's not something that i should complain about because of course they're going to open the doors but there's no like tension to it it's like the same thing about escalation like um you're just basically moving from door to door and there's no drama in that there's no drama in walking from a place to a different place um and that's the that's the problem is like those things have nothing to do with character they're just cool little tidbit facts stuff about happy primes is just chibnall being remarkably clever or knowing something about numbers that i didn't know um and it's uh, but there's nothing to it and that's i think where the whole thing falls apart like if you you think about it just it it, it crumbles it just completely crumbles and Mm -hmm. um and that's bad. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that being said, I mean it's 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 uh it's a lot stronger week episode than the week episodes of Doctor Who now. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that um again, I think that's down to the direction. Um, I think because I don't think the Chibnall does anything more interesting here than he does in um. Oh, I guess Power of Three inherently is interesting, but Power of Three fell apart. Um, or then Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. But this, the direction here is so much different than Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. There's mm-hmm. urgency. There's, there's, there's just urgency. Like, like yeah, I do. I, I definitely think there's urgency. I do think the idea. I don't know if it was just that 
Graham Harper didn't get that it was being taken place in real time or what? Because I never really got the vibe that it was taking place in real time. Like it never felt like an episode of 24 to me. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. It no, just, you're not wrong. Yeah. Not I, th- wrong. I think, cause I, I think that would have made it feel more interesting to know, like at the end of the day, like, you know, that this all took place in 42 minutes, um, mm-hmm. which I think is, but it, it's an inherently interesting. Cause I mean, think about it. Like think about appearing in a place and 42 minutes you're leaving and all of this stuff happened in those 40. 40- <laughs> That's pretty messed up. Um, yeah. And I feel like they could have they could have done that a little bit better and made that made that more apparent because I think that's inherently interesting. Um, I just don't think that it's it's timed out properly or I don't know. There's mm-hmm. something missing about the pacing or something. I don't know. Yeah, I'm no, not sure not, what it is. I'm not sure. You're not. I, you're not wrong. I think, and the thing, then the difference is like compare it stylistically to 24. Like 24, <laughs> you watch it and you're just, and if you start thinking about 24, it all falls apart. So maybe this is a bad point, but 24 makes makes a hard doesn't works really hard to feel like it's taking place concurrently. Um, you have the notion that people lives are going on beyond what you're seeing at any given moment. It does split screens. It does time lapse. It does simultaneous camera shots, which are really hard to do. Um, it does, it matches really well. And this kind of lacks it. The only thing that keeps the, the timer going or the, the timer going is the actual timer in the episode. Mm-hmm. And that's not, I think the timer actually lines up fairly well. I think that it, um, it's not perfect, but it, it, it does a fairly good job of keeping it all in line and keeping the urgency going. Um, but there is a, a fundamental disconnect that makes it be like, you know, you'll have I, – I guess it's just like everything on the ship just seems so close. Like Martha has like three minutes to vent all the gas and she stops to talk to the doctor. She has she has three minutes to dump the fuel. She t- stops to talk to the doctor and it's like, keep going. It's the um, – it's the we're watching Talia al Ghul die where there's a nuclear bomb just like two feet from us. Right, um, right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like – and it's like if you're going to be relentless, like be relentless. Be unforgiving with your time frame and time it out because, you know – people are running from place to place and running takes time. Um, a lot more time than you're willing to admit. And you have to go through like what? 30 doors in 42 minutes. That's not a lot of time to mess around. And there's an entire point of time where, (laughs) where they're in an escape pod and can't do anything. Um, and that just, um, that makes it kind of, uh, fall a little bit and trip up. And it's like, you just got to keep, you just got to keep hammering and you just have to keep going. And I think that Chibnall didn't, and that really hurts it as well. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I think, uh, it's, it is what it is, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it makes, it makes me want to go watch more Graham Harper stories is what it makes me want to do. Well, fair um, enough. Because considering that the, the episode that he shot after this was utopia, like that's the thing that he shot when he was done shooting this. Um, this makes me – it makes me want a Graham Harper directed episode in the new era yes. uh, with with the new budgets and everything. I, I, yes. I don't even know what that would look like and I don't know why he's not doing it. I don't know why they're not hiring him. I don't get it. I don't, I don't either. Maybe he's busy or something. But you're not wrong. And, like, think about – I mean, think about every episode that we did this season. Um, I, I know that a lot of people like them, and I know that we liked some but not everything. And we came off kind of worse off for it. I think, like, you and I didn't really love it. But watching this, there is an urgency to this that is completely missing from every episode that happened this season. Um, 
every episode. There was never any sense of like pace. There was never any sense of um of like, oh my god, we need to do this. It never felt like the stakes were high. It never like mm-hmm. dinosaurs in a spaceship didn't have this feeling. Asylum of the Daleks, for all that people love it never felt as insanely paced to me as this does, which is crazy because Asylum of the Daleks does way more in 42 minutes than this does in 42 minutes. Um, And I think that's really interesting. And I think that Harper as a director would be really interesting. I mean, I've long said that I think that Harper should direct something from Stephen Moffat. I really believe that would be something that I'm interested in seeing. And he hasn't. And that's kind of a crime. Um, But they need something like this. They need urgency. Uh, which I guess we'll also talk about in a couple minutes. So, um, but yeah, this uh, what's on my brain? What's on my brain? Okay. Okay. Well, before we move on, I want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by DCBService.com. DCBS is the site that lets you order all your monthly comic books, statues, action figures, anything you can get from your local comic book shop. You can pre-order from DCBService.com. Uh, pre-order stuff a uh, couple months in advance you can get uh, monthly discount specials that are 50% uh, off up to 75% off sometimes and then regular discounts of everything else uh, at 40% off so ship as often as you like um, with orders as large or small as you like and you only pay six ninety five in flat rate shipping so thanks to dcbservice.com alright so uh, this came uh, out uh, the 11th hour came out before you were on the show so there was no background of significance section so why don't you talk about the uh, background of significance of the 11th hour <laughs> well okay so 11th hour obviously the first uh the first appearance of the 11th doctor the first appearance of amy pond the inaugural story by Stephen moffat and pierce wegner um pierce wegner being uh, moffat's julie gardner uh, if you don't know who Julie Gardner is, Julie Gardner was basically Russell D. Davies' executive producing producing partner. Um, directed by Adam Smith, written by Stephen Moffat. Stephen Moffat had written this script. Uh, after he got the show, he basically went out and wrote this. I mean, Davies talks about it in The Writer's Tale, um, that he read this and was blown away by it. Um, and it premiered in April 2010. Um, and it is interesting because this is like one of the first... One of the only complete overhauls of Doctor Who that's ever been. Um, this is a. It's it's the. Uh, I mean, after the after the end of time, you have a Doctor leaving, and you have the head writer and producers leaving. So you have a completely different changeover of production team, um, and and that means that this is going to feel totally different, um, and it does. Um, it's directed by Adam. Andrew? Adam. Andrew Andrew Smith, I think. Um, directed by Andrew Smith, who did um, – who also went along and did the Angel two-parter later in the season. I think they actually shot the Angel two-parter first. Um, they did. Oh, well, there you go. Um, <laughs> oh, directed by Adam Smith, who is my brother. Um, so <laughs> – That's weird. That. Yeah, no, totally. Well, if it was Andrew, it would be my uncle. So I'm just right there. Um so it's the first story by me and my brother, um, and it's—I <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, uh, mean, that's that's what it is. I mean, the, it, it's interesting that, and I think that that's the thing to really take away from it is that it is a complete overhaul. Um, the likes of which new the doctor, show... new cre- new doctor, new creative team, new TARDIS, new screwdriver, yeah. new companion, new everything, new, 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 yeah. new, new. Yeah, new page one. I think the closest you get to that is spearhead from space. Um, 
And even then, you still have the Brigadier, and you still have the guy who produced the War Games producing Spearhead from Space. So, um... Which is interesting. It's actually that's a really apt comparison because that's the third Doctor, as well, and this is the third Doctor of the new series. So that's actually a really apt comparison, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And it is like um, it is about as good a starting point as anything else. (laughs) I don't think I. I don't know why I always thought of it as a good starting point, but I um I always think of um Rose is better because I'm just like go through Rose, you'll be fine. Um. But now I understand why everyone starts at the eleventh hour. Um, it's you don't get anything better than this. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about it. The eleventh hour coming back to it after God knows how long it's been since I've watched this. It's been a while, mm-hmm. that's for sure. Um, you know what? One thing I'll notice, and and I think I think uh, the main thing that I took away from it, um, especially watching the scene at the end on the rooftop. Uh, watching that part and realizing how far Matt Smith's doctor has gone um, as a character, like grown into his role and has really sort of cemented his place in the uh, in, 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 in the legend or, or mythology of Doctor Who. And, you know, he has his own personality. He has everything that every other doctor has had. And I remember watching this episode and being like, I, I can't, I really like this new guy a lot more than I was worried I would. Uh, and I think that I, I like, I was, I was just, I was excited to see where he was going to go and everything. And I remember watching that scene on the roof and just being filled with euphoria just like this is everything I want. Oh my god! But now returning to it after he's been the Doctor um, for you know he's in his third year as the Doctor, and I'm at a point now where I'm like, you know what? I love Matt Smith. I I I really do. And I but I think he's done everything he can, and I think I'm ready for another one. Yeah, I I just that's what I came away with more than anything is just like the thrill of a new doctor. I remember I I remember like I was watching this and as soon as I played it's like you get that shot of planet Earth and then it zooms into the zooms into the planet and then you get you it breaks the clouds and you see the TARDIS. And I remember watching this for the first time and just losing my mind and like having sort of like this out of body experience because it was a thing that I, I was waiting for since the announcement that David Tennant was leaving. I was waiting for this episode mm-hmm. and I, cause David Tennant was the first doctor that I ever watched from his first episode to his last in real time. Um, mm-hmm. So it was, that was the first time I'd ever experienced that. The idea that I had a doctor and now he's gone and there's a new guy. Um, so like that, I was just having this crazy out of body experience watching the eleventh hour for the first time and just being like, not even uh, being able to comprehend that I was watching it because all I could think about was the fact that I was watching it and I was hardly paying attention to what I was watching, you know. And so <laughs> yeah. like, so like I had to to <clears throat> watch it like multiple times to really get the most out of it, I think. And watching it this time, I just remembered that feeling and how much I missed that feeling and yeah. that I I haven't had it since. 
um, with Doctor Who. I've had it with other things. Like I remember having it with the Avengers. That's another big, big one. Um, but I just I want that feeling again. And, you know, like watching this episode and seeing how far he's gone as the Doctor, I can't imagine him going any further. And I just wonder if his story should be done, if he should be done, because I don't I feel like there's nothing else to do with him. And I love him. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I really do love him. And I think that he is going to be in my top tier of doctors without a doubt. He'll never be the top because of the things that they've Moffat has done with him. But I, I, I do really like him, but I'm just, I'm ready for a new one. I just, I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Cause I had, I had a very similar thought where it was like, you know, I mean, I wasn't the biggest fan of the 11th doctor in this, um, in this past season that we just went through and going back to the 11th hour here, I was just reminded like, I, and I'm sure you remember this. When this came out, everyone was like, I don't know, man. David Tennant, they're never going to beat him. They're never going to top him. It's never going to happen. And this aired. And I remember being in shock, like in shock with my friends just going, I think he just beat him in one episode. And like, yeah, that's, yes. like, that's, that's it. Like, And I remember that. And, and going back to this now, I'm struck by exactly that feeling again like oh right this is the doctor who i really loved from the beginning Mm -hmm. from minute one and i said this is great i can't wait i want to see where this goes and it's interesting that like i don't think he's done anything necessarily bad in the last bit but it's i mean i i and i hesitate to make this comparison. well and the things that he's done i i and the things that he's done i don't think are his fault no they're not his fault it's just like there's a it, it's 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 the difference between watching Tom Baker and Robot and Tom Baker in The Invisible Enemy. Um, Tom Baker and Robot comes out of the gate screaming like he is trying. He is hungry. He is doing his best. Matt Smith here is impressing like I've never seen him do since period. Um, and since then, I feel that there's a complacency in the role. There is a comfort that feels like they're resting on their laurels in a bad way. Um, mm-hmm. and, and whereas I, and I feel where, whereas I feel like David Tennant never got there. No, like he always felt, he always felt, uh, confident in the role, but never comfortable. If that makes any sense. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, he was always, <laughs> and he was always trying new things. He was always going to new places. And that's also down to Davies constantly pushing the character into, new and exciting directions. I mean, like, Waters of Mars. You don't do Waters of Mars, like, as your second-to-last story if you're feeling complacent. Like, that is pushing your doctor as far as he can possibly go. Um, And I feel like there's no... And I've said this going back to Series 6. I feel like they don't push Matt Smith. I feel like because they don't push him, he doesn't push himself. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, And you feel it. Like, go back and watch this and tell me that this episode isn't better than anything in Series 7. Um, because it is. This is, this is everything I want from Doctor Who. This is everything I want mm-hmm. from Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who. This is everything I want from Matt Smith. This is everything I want from Amy Pond. And this is everything I want from the show under Moffat. Um, this is about something in a way that the Series 7 has not been about anything, even though it said it wanted to be about the exit of the Ponds. This is, um, you know, Matt Smith learning to be the Doctor in a very interesting way. I mean, it's not his first, but you feel like it's his first. Um, 
And it's just incredible. And it's like, I don't know what it is. I think it's I think it's down to Moffat and Moffat being complacent. Writing this is not easy. Um, it looks easy, but it's not. This is a very complicated script and way more complicated than people initially gave it credit for. I remember when this mm-hmm. aired and people were just like, is this, you know, is this like Blink? Is it Silence in the Library? This is not as complicated as, as other of Moffat's scripts. And I think, honestly, this is the best thing that Moffat wrote to this point. Um, yeah, well, because I, I think people are ignoring the fact because he, he, he layers in so much into this episode that you just sort of take for granted. Uh, but there's so much in this that you can tell he wrote in through multiple drafts. Uh, cause you can tell that he wrote the basic story, the first draft, then Matt Smith was cast and he rewrote it. And then, and then Karen Gillan was cast, and he rewrote it. And then Arthur Darville was cast, and he rewrote it. Because you can see, it's not like they went out to cast the new companion and was like, she's Scottish. No. They cast Karen Gillan, who was Scottish, and they're like, great, you should be Scottish. And then he rewrote it and added all of the Scottish stuff into it. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a lot, actually. <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of Scottish jokes uh, mm-hmm. because Moffat is Scottish. Um, but <laughs> it's it's just it's uh, I, I don't I, I feel like this episode doesn't get enough credit. I mean, this is this is as good of a, a doctor introduction story as you could possibly have because you don't want an overwhelming uh, an overwhelming uh, uh, Doctor Who story for the first outing of a doctor. You want something a little simplistic because it's not about that. It's about the doctor being a new doctor and dealing with this new body that he has. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and the and new it's... companion being a new companion and what that means. And right. Yes. And, and, and that's, and that's exactly right. And it's like, people are like, well, it's not as plot convoluted as his other stuff is. It's like, no, but emotionally, psychologically, what he's dealing with is so much more complex than anyone gives it credit for. The idea that the doctor meets young Amy Pond at the age of like, what is it, 10 uh, or nine mm-hmm. or something? Um, yeah, and then something goes like away that. for, yeah, and then goes away for 12 years and then has this adventure with her and then goes away for another two. And, and there's a complexity to that that cannot be understated that cannot that you cannot just simply say oh anyone could do this it's like no this is this is so the only thing this is so specific to Stephen Moffat only Stephen Moffat could have written this um and it can only be as good as it was because of him um and it's it's hard like it's it's a it's a it's a story that is very intricately crafted everything is specific everything blossoms out uh, in a brilliant way and the way that he keeps switching things up and moving the plot forward and is constantly ahead of you by two steps every step of the way. Like, everyone's like, Moffat's always two steps ahead of you. Yes, he is. But in this, he is always two steps ahead of you. And I don't think you realize it because you're just so overwhelmed by, like, how much it's it's trying not... It doesn't seem like it is. But the stuff where it's like, you have the doctor in Amy's room when he's uh, when she's nine and he sees the door and then he's suddenly brought away from the door and you kind of forget about the door but the door is there and then he comes back and the door is still there and then she moves through the door and there's something in the room and then the guy walks out of the room and the Atraxi have a plan have surrounded the building but they haven't surrounded the building they've surrounded the planet oh and the planet's about to explode oh and the Atraxi is now taking the forms of other people like all of these things are Moffat being ahead of you every step of the way. Um, and it's something that you kind of don't get until you're on your third or fourth viewing of it, I think. Um, 
and it's and it's and it's it's really remarkable. It's like it's really intricate, and you can tell that Moffat is trying to impress at this, and it's mm-hmm. because he knows that he's the unknown factor and that he isn't the sure thing, despite everyone saying he is. Like he's just like, I'm gonna come out and do the best you've ever seen, and um, and that's what this is. I mean, that's what this is. It's it's it's, it's amazing. It's so amazing. Um, yeah, and I think I think too. Uh, I mean, as Moffat has taken over the show, like in 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 this in this season, like this is what season season five of Doctor Who, and Moffat's first season as showrunner is an example, a perfect example, of what Moffat taking his time looks like. Yeah, season six is where he started to catch up with himself, uh, yeah. and you can tell and you can feel it. And then series seven is where it's almost like he's not even trying yeah. um, because he just feels like I'm the best Doctor Who showrunner ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just it's weird. It's like he it's like you could almost see Moffat himself as showrunner as showrunner being like he's sort of like a like a meta doctor himself where he comes in. With Matt Smith at the same time, and they both feel that they need to prove themselves, and then they just get more comfortable and complacent in their role as the show went on um, simultaneously. Yes. And yes. it's like the more comfortable and lazy Matt Smith gets in his role as the Doctor, so does Moffat as showrunner, and it's yes. it's sad. Yes, and and and, it, and I mean compare it to you know. Angels Take Manhattan. Like, Angels Take Manhattan, what is Angels Take Manhattan about? Is it about a um, a bunch of angels creating a person farm? Is it about Amy and Rory leaving? Is it about River Song reconnecting with her parents for the last time? Is it about the doctor letting them go? I don't have an answer to that. But if you look at, and this is even harder because it's a season, it's much harder to think about what a season is about than what an episode is about. But what is this season about? This season is about a girl who is terrified of growing up who is afraid of taking that last step in her life of becoming with someone forever um of being someone's wife and that is like that is never more apparent than the last shot when you're suddenly like oh we start with like it and it's so simple you just start on this pan from this girl and her childhood fantasies to her 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 adult reality and Moffat through this season, as I'm sure we're going to see, and it might not always work, but at the end of the day, that's what this is. This is about a girl growing up, and it's about this man teaching her how to grow up while still learning about the things that need that you need to have as like being a child as a person, if that makes sense. Um, and and that's something that's been missing, and it's and it's very hard to do. Thematics is like one of the hardest things you can do as a writer, making it about something. And watching this, like this is thematically about that. It's about uh, your childhood fantasies coming true. It's about you um, growing up. It's about you having a best friend who is imaginary. It's about a man who needs to figure out who he is. It's about a man who needs to save the world without any of his usual tricks. And that's missing. And it's, and it's simple. Um, it's, it's a very, it's discernible instantly, but it's something that is absolutely missing from every story in season seven and most of season six. Um, impossible astronaut day of the moon, 
notwithstanding views, I think those are actually really good. That is right at the point where Moffat kind of loses it right mm-hmm. after that. Right. Um, and, 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 and that's, I mean, I can't, I cannot tell you how happy this episode makes me like, and I was worried that I would see faults in it. Yes, I see faults. I think the kissogram is a little silly. I think that, um, the internet porn joke is a little, is a little racy, but it's not so much. hmm? It's a little crass. Yeah. It's, it's a little crass, but they do not distract from the telling of the story. They do not feel like shiny baubles put on a dead Christmas tree. This feels like a full Christmas tree with tons of ornaments that make it happy. Well, and know? I think that it's it's Moffat trying things, uh, which, you know, I I am fine with him trying and and, and trying different things and then draw and like letting them go like just different different flavors but it's different when now he's not trying things he's just throwing things at you and that's it Mm -hmm. um and he doesn't really care if you like what he's throwing at you or not he's just doing it just to do it and that's that's the difference is like here he's sort of just like do you try do you like this do you like this do you like this um and and he's trying to figure out who he is as uh as as a doctor who showrunner and he found that generally speaking doctor who fandom uh as a whole or or new fandom i guess um it's really new fandom uh really like the whole prophecy thing and he's been kind of sticking with that yeah um and and it's and it's the lost effect i think i think that's what it is like the thing about lost is like and i know i don't want to get into an argument but the problem with lost is that it came out weekly like if you went back and watched it all the way through i think it would play totally different because when you finish an episode you don't talk about oh, this was really crazy because this happened to Jack. You talk about, oh my God, what were those Egyptian hieroglyphs? Oh my God, what was the statue? Oh my God, what was this? Oh my God, what was that? Because those are things that you can you can wrap your head around. They're things that are easily quantifiable and are easily discussable because they're about mythology. And Moffat does the Russell T. Davies thing in this. And I think that all of the all of the season had been pretty much written and shot before this aired. Um, so it's like the newsroom effect as well. Um he comes up with the prophecy. He comes up with um, the Pandora will open. Silence will fall. Pandora, it's coming. Silence will fall is next season, and he knows. I, I'm pretty sure at this point that he knows that's where he's going in the beginning of series six. Um, <clears throat> but, but because fandom latches onto those questions, fandom will always latch onto the questions of mythology, the things that make you go, oh, that was really cool, and not necessarily the things that say, oh, it was really interesting watching. Amy forgive the doctor for abandoning her when he when she needed him most um that Moffat sees that he says I can do that and then just makes the show about that and that's 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 fine but those are not things that let the show have any sort of eternality mm-hmm. once you answer those questions you are um you are basically a ship out of water mm-hmm. um you can't you can't do anything with them. Um, the things that make your stories timeless are character things. The thing that we're going to see in Pyramids of Mars, which we're talking about in a couple weeks, is the reason that Pyramids of Mars is great is not because the mummies are cool. The thing about those are they're cool, but the thing that Pyramids of Mars really gets to is this is this notion of the Doctor who is saving humanity despite the fact that he doesn't have any, that he doesn't understand them, that he can't relate to them, and. 11th hour I think is really a great lesson in that Amy Pond is a great character here 
because Amy Pond has a drive. She has a need. She has something that she needs to take care of emotionally, psychologically. The doctor has something that he also needs to take care of emotionally, psychologically. And it's not about where are we going? It's about let's just deal with this. And that is that's so good. That's why this has staying power. That's why people love this. Um, and I love that about it. So mm-hmm. there's that. Um, I also want to mention, uh, again, last week we talked about 42, we talked about urgency. This is 60 minutes long. This is 15 minutes longer than anything that Moffat has ever vowed to write for Doctor Who again. Um, Moffat, Moffat is very, very specifically has said that his goal is to compress Doctor Who stories to 45 minutes because, quote, they do not need to be longer than that. Um, at 60 minutes, this story races along. It is urgent in ways that everything Moffat wrote this season is not. Um, hell, everything going back to the wedding of Riversong isn't. I think that's also because it's grounded, but also because there are stakes. There are There's a drive that is driving this plot forward that isn't just what is the mystery of this. And... It's why I want to see Graham Harper direct because, uh, and we'll see it in Angels. Adam Smith is a phenomenal director at doing tense excitement, at making something matter, at making something race along. And at sixty minutes, like I didn't care that this was an hour. Yeah, I I, I forgot, and, and I can't imagine them cutting anything from this. I can't. Um, which they did. Well, for... I mean, you could argue though that it is a it's it's still a forty five minute episode with a fifteen minute prologue. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, I, I think, I think if you had a conversation with Moffat about it, I think that's what he would argue <laughs> is that sure. if we did this today, the, uh, Amelia Pond stuff would be on the internet, um, <laughs> which is not the show, but go on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just saying, but, uh, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah. No, I, so I, I, I still think, um, I mean, I agree. I, I, but I think that the, the adventure of it is still within those 45 minutes um <clears throat> but you know i i don't know like a, a new doctor is uh arguably a little more special than a regular episode so yeah you know it needed those extra 15 minutes and yes it wouldn't be the same without them <laughs> mm-hmm. have you ever seen the bbc america <laughs> cut where they had to get it down to 45 minutes with commercials um i think they aired it initially as an hour but in subsequent edits they had to cut out 15 minutes. They cut out the entire bit with the apple. Um, that's gone. And it's like, can you imagine this story without her shoving his tie in the car and 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 the apple? I mean, like, and if, if you want to point to anything, like, that's where Moffat fails, in my opinion. Moffat will always throw, like, one or two emotional scenes into the episode, and the rest will just be plot, 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 plot. This takes the time to go for character beats. Mm-hmm. It takes the time to have the Doctor... Uh, work to earn Amy's trust back. If you cut the apple, the apple scene alone with him at the car, you lose something special. You lose yeah. emotional moments that ground this and make it really truly memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great plan to pay off, but it's it, losing those hurts this. Um, and and hurts Moffat moving forward. Um, because. One of the reasons why I love Impossible Astronaut and Day of the Moon is because those that story 
it does move very fast, but at the end of the day, it does take time to deal with the characters. There's a scene between the Doctor and Rory about how Rory remembers everything of his time as an Auton. There's a scene. There's this famous scene where River says, "I'm moving backwards in time," and then there's the the finale where the Doctor. Uh, kisses river for the first and last time um those are those are scenes that i feel are missing from moffat's doctor who and it and it's and it's nice to remember that he can do them he just chooses not to um which is even more disheartening yeah um. <laughs> yeah i i i uh i and i, I but I, you know the episode's not perfect like you said there are some silly things i would argue that i'm fine with the kissing ground thing just because well one i i don't really know what a kissing gram is um I guess it's like a PG thirteen stripper. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I I'm not really positive what it is, but I think it fits the theme of her not wanting to grow up because she's playing dress up, and it's I I don't know. I feel, I think it fits the theme very well. Yes, I agree. Um, I agree. But one thing that I actually don't like about this, I don't like in this episode, and it always sticks out for me that I just I'm like I don't like this. Uh, the doctor doesn't have superpowers. Um, and (laughs) apparently according to Moffat, he does, uh, because, you know, he can just like hand out regeneration stuff to people. Um, and, (laughs) and he can, uh, he can apparently think real hard and see things in a three dimensional photograph. I hate that sequence. I hate it. Um, I, I think that it's. It does a couple of things that I'm not crazy about. One, it makes it seem like the Doctor has uh, uh, has a superpower, um, much like what uh, Moffat later does with Sherlock. Um, and I think it fits Sherlock because he's so good with detail and, and whatnot. So using that would be a good visual representation of that for Sherlock. But for the Doctor, I don't – I'm not – crazy about that idea and I don't it doesn't really make any sense like it's why is it three dimensional the doctor can't see in three dimensional dimensions like it doesn't mm-hmm. he can't see around people like that's yes. that doesn't really make any sense um and you certainly can't see Rory's ID card right ex- sure. exactly that doesn't it's ridiculous uh so that's 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 one problem the other problem I have with it is Look, I've watched a lot of Doctor Who. You've watched all of Doctor Who. Yeah, I have. If if the Doctor had some if the Doctor saw someone where something was happening and everyone was looking at that thing and then there was one other person who was looking in the opposite direction, I'm sorry, but he would ask that person to be a companion immediately. Yeah. Because he would be fascinated with them choosing to not look at the thing that everyone else is looking at. That makes them mm-hmm. special. That makes them stand out. That means there's something there that he is interested in. It makes no sense that he wouldn't even give Rory a second thought. Yes. Agreed. And I hadn't thought of that, but you're absolutely right because it is it is something that – um, and I, it's something that really I think Davies hammered home because mm-hmm. um, Davies is the one who really said what makes a companion a companion. I mean – the guy wrote out Adam for God's sake. Um, but uh, you're right that it doesn't, it doesn't make sense given where the doctor has come from. I mean, you could argue that he's really confused at the moment. He can't keep anything straight in his head, but it is very jarring at the end of the day. Um, especially because, you know, 
even Amy looks up, um, and Rory doesn't. Rory is looking at something that's even more remarkable, as as hard as that is to believe. Um, and you're right, that is weird. Um, and you've effectively ruined that for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but even then, like, even then, there's still so much, like, I don't know, there's so much love. The dressing sequence is incredible. The let's walk through the face moment had me in chills again. Oh, yeah. And first time I saw that, man, I'll just let you know. The first time I saw that, I screamed yeah. in my chair. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh! Like, yeah. I was just like, No, that was, was the exact so... same response that I had. <laughs> and every time I watched it after. Like, yeah. even this time, I was like, yeah! yeah. <laughs> oh, it's the ultimate catharsis. It's the ultimate, I'm here. And, it, like, and, it, and it's telling that Moffat chooses that moment and builds the entire episode to build to that moment. And it it's such a cathartic release when you get there. It's the ultimate, when he says, hello, I'm the doctor, basically run. Everyone remembers the basically run because it's, like, scary or whatever. I always remember, hello, I'm the doctor because, my God, he is. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah. and in less than an hour, in less than an hour, I have completely accepted this man as the doctor, which is crazy that should not have worked and it did um remarkable like really 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 remarkable and funny and exciting and and daring and the food sequence is wonderful the fairy tale like the fairy tales like i feel like the fairy tales have gone missing from doctor who and i'd forgotten like i just i'd forgotten um what it was like um to have that and how strong a thing it is and how Moffat has really kind of dropped it as time has gone on. Um, and it's unfortunate. Because or done I it love... in a weird way. Like, rather than make constructing his stories like fairy tales, he's constructed them with whimsy and just thinks that's good enough. And it's not. Yeah, and it's... No, it's not at all. And, like, this is, this is absolutely a fairy tale. This is everything that you want from the Moffat who... Um, all the way, all the way to the end. And I mean, like, I, I think that I can't think of a story that he's done that is more fairy tale than this story. I guess we'll see as we go through. I think Beast but, Below, maybe, maybe it gets close, I think. It, yeah, it, it, it gets close, but I don't think it's I don't think it's here. Um, and I, we'll talk about that next week um, and see how that compares. But like this has so many elements to it that are just so it's just about something. It's about something. And I'd forgotten what Doctor Who being about something under Moffat meant. Um, and I think that other people would be... I I, I really ask people to watch Asylum of the Daleks or Man- Dangerous Take Manhattan and compare it to this and see that you're on two completely... You're t- they're two completely different sports. Yeah. Um, or Wedding of River Song, for that matter. Even going yeah. back, uh, uh, even further back. I mean, it's... Yeah. It's... It's not the same person. It's just, it's not mm-hmm. the same doctor. It's not the same. Uh, it's not the same showrunner. Like it's just, mm-hmm. it's just not. It's just not. Yeah. It's just not as good. It's not as no, good. It's not. It's not. And that's unfortunate. But on the bright side, I will always have the eleventh hour, and that makes me happy. One other quibble on the DVD: them not putting the coming soon trailer is the biggest travesty to ever happen to any DVD ever. <laughs> Ever, I swear to God, them like not only like I cannot stress enough. The first time I watched this, um, I got to the Doctor Face moment. I was like, oh, and I was like, just on cloud nine for the rest of the episode. I mean, I'd been there the whole time before, but I was on cloud nine for the rest of the episode. 
get and then getting to the oh this is where we're going trailer my god like my god how incredible is that trailer how incredible is it it's oh it's so it's so good it is so good and that they take those trailers off the dvd and i know that people complain because it's like don't spoil what i'm about to see it's like those trailers have never spoiled what you're about to see. No. Let's talk about the trailer at the end of 42 and how yeah. that feels nothing like the episode you're about to get. Yeah. You're just like, that looks weird. And yeah. then the episode is even weirder. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and the episode <laughs> is like quiet and reserved. And that yeah. and that what you got looks I – don't, I don't know what the hell that trailer for uh, Human Nature was. That's It's a yeah. weird, bad trailer. <laughs> yeah. But, 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 like, all the trailers, like, every time we get to a new trailer, I'm always excited. And, like, I, I will say there has been no better trailer than the Series 5 coming soon trailer at the end of 11th Hour. I've watched it so many times. Is it at the end I, of the 11th Hour on Netflix? I don't know if it is. It might not be. Hmm. I know that I have it because I bought Series 5 on iTunes at one point because um, I needed to – it was cheap and I needed to have it. So that's like the, the copy that I have and it's on there. But it's just like put it on the DVD. Like you're not – who cares? Like who cares what people think? This is part of your show. This is part of what's coming up. And like how many times do I watch like an episode of I – mean, I mean even Star Trek – and getting to the end of an episode, like, just tease me. Who cares? It'll get me going that much further. Yeah. Like, are you so afraid that it's not going to work? Because God knows there's nothing like that trailer. Nothing in the world like it. It's mm-hmm. so perfect. Also weird not hearing the BBC voice come up and tell me what's coming on TV next. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll do it for Doctor Who this week. Coming up next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, oh, you can go over to BBC Three and watch Doctor Who Confidential. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Right. Exactly. Uh, um, but no, this is great. Now, I, now I want to go watch that trailer because it's just like it's so badass. It's so badass. Um, it is. If you ever, if you ever rewatched it, you could probably find it online. It is so good. It mm. is so good. Um, I just, Ugh. I, I want to re, I, I just want to revisit the feeling that I got out of 11th hour. I want a new doctor. I want a new showrunner. I want a new show again. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> it looks like it's not coming for a while. I know. Cause didn't Matt Smith say he's on for series eight? Like he's in, I think like, so. Yeah. So, so we're, uh, we're still a ways away. I mean, maybe that'll change with the 50th and maybe they're pulling a long con, but Moffat seems like he's not leaving anytime soon. Uh, and Matt Smith is clearly on for the long haul, despite the fact that he's clearly not doing his best work. Um, I have a weird feeling that Moffat is going to be on Doctor Who for as long as Daniel Craig is James Bond. Because <laughs> I think that he's going to leave Doctor Who when he can start writing James Bond. That's what I think <laughs> his version of James Bond. Cause I think that's yeah. cause I mean, he said that that's what he wants to do next. That's his, that's his, uh, his Trinity or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets to wa- and he gets to make Dr. Who and Sherlock, but he, um, but he wants to, but he gets to enjoy, uh, Bond when he is able to write Bond, he'll drop, um, He'll, he'll drop Doctor Who, mm-hmm. which is funny because you know that the Bond people are like, please give us good writers. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Moffat would be so good at a, at a James Bond story. Oh, um, he would be sec- excellent because the thing about about him is like when he's grounded, he's great. Sherlock 
is still phenomenal. Um, I mean, when he, when he's writing it, uh, like, and when they have a good story, um, which is never the middle one, uh, <laughs> but when they have a good story, apparently, regardless of who is quote unquote, you know, the credited writer, uh, it's always good. So mm-hmm. I think Moffat is a great showrunner when he can, when he has to keep himself grounded. So I think that, um, him doing James Bond would be phenomenal. I just, I, I think that, I don't know, somebody, somebody at BBC needs to give him a mandate and be like, you're grounded. Like you need to chill out. Well, that's the thing is like, no one's telling him no anymore. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this. I don't know if we talked about this on the show, but the fact that he lost his two producers last season and they were huge Doctor Who fans, Piers Wegner and um, Beth something, um, or someone, someone. I don't know. Piers Wegner and his other executive producer both left, and he's now with Caroline Skinner. Caroline Skinner is not going to tell him no. He is way too powerful at this point to have anyone tell him, no, you can't do that. Right. No, that's not that's not good enough. I mean, again, Tom Baker had the same problem because no one was standing up to Tom Baker. Um and but you know, as as an artist, you need someone who can kind of rein you in. If you don't, you write the newsroom, um, and that's <laughs> bad. I mean, that's bad because no one in the newsroom is telling Sorkin no, um, and and it's the same here because I don't and I and I mean like you're allowed to be off the leash when you're new because you're exploring, you're learning things, but you need to learn rules, you need to learn to pull it back, you need to have people who are saying, "Is this the best it can be? Can we make it better?" And I feel like no one's saying that, and right. that is the problem. You um, don't have to keep getting bigger. That's the thing. That's yeah. that's I feel like he's looking at Doctor Who because he wants to see Doctor Who as this big cinematic property. He's like, well, when you do a sequel, you go bigger. That's that's what you do. That's what you have mm-hmm. to do. You keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But this is TV. That it doesn't work like that. Yeah, and and it's not like it's not about. You're right. It's not about getting bigger. I mean, compare it to Davies. Like Davies, all of his season finales keep getting bigger, and that's that's fine. But at the same time. The same season that Davies blew out his budget on Stolen Earth Journey's End, he also did Turn Left and Midnight, which are I, – I, I think they were relatively cheap. I could be wrong. Midnight for sure was really dirt cheap. I don't think Turn um, Left was. Turn Left doesn't look very cheap to me. <laughs> fair enough. But, I mean, but regardless, you still have someone doing Midnight. You still have someone – you'd still have him pulling back, trying something new, doing more with less. Um and you need and you need that. I really think you need that. And um, uh, Moffat could learn from that. Yeah. Unfortunately, he will never listen to this. So um, we're <laughs> shouting to the end vo- of the void. Um, and that's unfortunate. And getting bad reviews in the process. Next yeah. week, well, you know. <laughs> next week, Day of the Daleks and uh, the Beast Below. Yes. So Day of the Daleks, uh, John Pertwee, third Doctor story with what companion? Uh, Joe. Joe. With Joe. Joe. And uh, and then and then the beast below the second episode mm-hmm. of the fifth season, uh, which is an episode that I love and will defend <laughs> because I love it. I really do. Sure, um, and, w- and we'll talk about it. Yeah. Um, I don't. I'm not saying I love it or hate it. Um, I will make my thoughts known next week. Um, but Day of the Daleks. The other thing to point out is that we are watching the special edition of Day of the Daleks, the one with the. Nick Briggs Dalek voices. Nick Briggs came in and completely redubbed all the Daleks. Um, and uh, 
with new added special effects to make it look bigger and better than it did before with new shots of new Daleks and, and more Ogrons and, and all sorts of good stuff. So it'll be uh, it'll be a good time. And it's a four episode uh, bendy bendy story. Uh, and we have I'll have a lot to say about it. I haven't rewatched it. So uh since I initially did, so uh, we'll uh, we'll see how it goes. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm twitter.com slash Scott Corelli. Also, Scott Commentary, where I uh, I sometimes live tweet things, sometimes not often, and I will give you no warning because that's who I am. Uh, also, make sure that you're checking out our other podcast, The Mind Robbers, in which Matt and I talk about things that we've been watching, and we talk about stories and and and, and writing, and basically, it's like uh, it's an entertainment review show from the perspective of writers um, or people who wish that they were working writers. Uh, <laughs> That sort of thing. So uh, if that's if that's something that you're interested in, if you like the way that we talk about Doctor Who, then you'll like, um, nay, love the Mind Robbers. So uh, you should be listening to that if you're not already. Matt. You can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash Gungan, and also my Twitter, twitter.com slash GD Commentary, where I sometimes live tweet and sometimes, not always, will warn you that it's happening. Normally, I'll be in the middle of something and then just be like, I need to tell someone, so I'll tell the internet. Um, <laughs> but that's GD Commentary. Also, my blog, classicalgallifrey.blogspot.com, where we're in the home stretch almost. Um, uh, I'll tell you when we're in the home stretch, but it's, it's a very exciting home stretch. Um, but we're in the last quarter, last three months. Um, so this week, I'm talking about the moon. Base, which is the original base under siege story that's not the 10th planet um and the return of the cybermen and all that good stuff it's uh the the spacesuits make me happy i'll just say that um and even more exciting stuff next week uh and also coming up on this here uh next week is day of the daleks then we're doing the macro terror which is the second doctor story that is phenomenal um and then pyramids of mars and earth shock and each of those will be paired with a fifth series story um for pyramids of mars we already know that it's the angel two-parter so if you want to see me be really happy uh you should you should tune into that episode uh, <laughs> because pyramids of mars and time of angels flesh and stone like that is that is about as good an episode as you're ever going to get um in my opinion uh so stuff to look forward to uh stuff to look forward to uh, and that's where you can find me. Good stuff. Good All stuff. right. Uh, email the show, podcast at mindrobber.net. Uh, go to the website, leave comments, start a discussion. Tell us, tell us your, uh, your, your story of watching the 11th hour for the first time and, and what your thoughts on it were and everything. Um, you know, rewatch ser- series five with us because it'll be fun. Uh, and then of course, uh, if you like the show, leave an iTunes review because that helps us out. Uh, if you don't like the show, don't leave a review because that does the opposite of helping us. Um, thanks everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.